Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Before we get into tonight's stories, um, I don't promote this very often, probably not as often as I should anyway, but if you're interested in getting videos a day or two days in advance, become a patron or a member of the channel. Both links to do so are down in the description. Both are a dollar a month, and you get videos a day early, and it supports me as a creator. You can pledge more over on Patreon if you want, but just so you know, there's nothing extra that comes with more money. It's just, it's the same thing. But if you choose to do more, I greatly appreciate it. But if you want to support, that's the best way to do it. Links are down in the description. Now let's get into tonight's stories. There are certain things in this world that are constant, unchanging, with no regards to the passage of time. No matter the era, there's war, there's money, there's greed. Each generation has its share of hatred and unjust death. There will always be crime and tragedy. These constants are things that are known and, to some extent, understood. But there is something else that I know to be true, something perfectly cemented in time and space that the world seems to have overlooked. Mrs. Baker owns the house at the end of Willow Street. I know that this must seem a little strange to you. Please, just give me a few minutes to explain. You see, Mrs. Baker wasn't just any old woman in my neighborhood. In fact, many of us didn't think of her as a woman at all. She was more of a a landmark, someone who'd been there even before our parents and would continue to exist long after us little birdies had flown the nest. And for as long as she'd been alive, she'd had owned a shabby little shack with peeling paint and squeaking shutters at the tail end of Willow Street. For most of us still alive in the neighborhood, she had existed for all of eternity. She wasn't born, and she wouldn't die. She just was. Of course, logic tells us that even Mrs. Baker came from somewhere. I was told that she immigrated to our little town from France. Her name was Camille, although nobody could ever pronounce it right. Her husband, an American whose first name has long been forgotten, brought her over after a whirlwind romance in Paris. He had died early, leaving her alone and childless. All by herself, in the house on Willow Street. By all accounts, Mrs. Baker was unremarkable. She was kind and friendly, inasmuch as social protocol demanded. She liked to sit on her front porch, surveying the unkempt grass as she embroidered yellowing hand towels. She had a cat that very well may have been as old as herself. He had gray fur, and all the neighborhood kids called him Fluffy, as we were fairly unoriginal children. The only thing that set Mrs. Baker apart from the other residents was her apparent immunity to life and death. In all that time I lived there, I never saw her age. I never saw her change. But that's not why I remember Mrs. Baker now. 
Mrs. Baker didn't talk to the kids in our neighborhood very much. I always had a feeling that she disliked children. My mom had a fascination with embroidery and spent a few afternoons sitting in Mrs. Baker's musty old living room taking lessons from the old crone. I didn't mind Mrs. Baker because she always gave me chocolate chip cookies and then we played with Fluffy. Since she never really talked to me, however, I assumed that she wasn't very fond of me. That assumption was changed one foggy morning in early April. School was out for some kind of break, so I had naturally risen before the crack of dawn to get most out of the few free days I had. I'd driven my mom insane in a matter of minutes, and she'd sent me outside to play before she was forced to slaughter me where I stood. Those were her words, not mine. I was playing with some action figures when I saw Mrs. Baker standing outside her house watching me. Of course, she lived all the way at the end of the street, a good four houses away from me, so I couldn't really tell if she was looking at me or not. Except that I could feel her eyes on me. Like she was trying to call out to me with something other than her voice. And she succeeded, because I was so intrigued that I found myself standing up from the damp grass and taking a tentative step down the street. As if sensing my confusion, Mrs. Baker lifted her arm and crooked a single finger at me, beckoning me closer. I was either too young or too stupid to be cautious. Besides, I'd known her all my life, as had my mother and probably her mother before. I didn't think anything of it as I trotted down the street. If anything, I was thinking of those chocolate chip cookies she often made. I stopped a few feet from Mrs. Baker and I chirped out some kind of greeting. She gave me a stiff sort of smile and bent down so that she was eye level with me. I remember thinking that I'd never seen any old person do that. Must have hurt her back bending down like that. I suddenly felt very important. Dominic, you're a good boy, aren't you? She asked the question, fully expecting an answer. There was nothing patronizing or teasing in her tone. I nodded solemnly, as though this were the most important moment of my young life. Well, I guess in a way it probably was. She mirrored my nod, an aura of satisfaction radiating off her as she asked her next question. Would you like to see something secret? My ears perked up at that. Secret? <laughs> I loved secrets. I was going to be a spy when I grew up, so I understood that secrets were very, very important. I nodded to her and she extended her hand to me. I took it without hesitation and she led me inside her house. We bypassed her living room completely, much to my dismay, as I'd rather hoped that her secret involved cookies. She took me through the dining room, then to the kitchen, all the way to the back of the house, where she opened the door to a set of stairs leading down into darkness. She turned on the lights, but the basement was still quite dim, so she held my hand in her firm grip as we descended together. I gradually became aware that there were soft noises coming from the basement, sniffles and shuffles and something strange like choking and squealing noises. It sounded as though she had animals that were trying very hard to keep quiet. I wondered if Fluffy had gotten trapped down there. 
Maybe Mrs. Baker wanted me to save them. I didn't see Fluffy when we got to the basement. I saw a row of cages, lining the walls in a mess of rusty iron. It was hard to see, but there were animals crouched in them, sniffing and pawing at the dirty floor beneath them. What is it? I asked, a little uncertain of what to make of what I saw. It's a zoo, said Mrs. Baker. My eyes lit up in wonder. I loved the zoo. My mother used to take my little brother and me if we'd been very good. I realized why it was a secret now. Having a zoo in your basement was a genius idea, although she wouldn't be able to keep very big animals. I was a little disappointed by that, because giraffes were my favorite. Still, I was very excited to see her zoo. She must have been able to sense my anticipation because she let go of my hand and gestured forward. Go on, she said. I didn't need a second invitation. I practically skipped forward, starting with the cage closest to me. Because the light was so dim, I had to bend down and press my face against the bars to make out what was inside. And my little heart froze when I finally saw what was in the cage. It was a little girl, a few years younger than me. She couldn't have been more than five. She was crouched down, her hands trembling, and I could see that something was dripping from her fingers. I thought about trying to speak to her, but then I saw her lips. They'd been sewn shut. I gasped and stumbled backwards into Mrs. Baker's arms. All too late, I began to feel that something was very, very wrong. I looked back at Mrs. Baker, white-faced and shaking. I couldn't make out her face in the dark basement, and for that, I was almost glad. What is she doing in there? I demanded, trying to sound like I wasn't scared. I failed miserably. She was bad. Bad? Miss Baker nodded, but didn't give any more explanation. She simply stated, This is a zoo for bad people. She gestured again for me to continue looking. I walked on unsteady legs and looked into the next cage. This one was a boy. He was moaning a little, obviously trying to keep quiet and pressing his hands to his chest. Except, then I realized that he didn't have hands. He had dark, oozing stumps where his hands should have been. I looked back at Miss Baker, suddenly wanting very much to go back home. She sensed my intentions and shook her head. I couldn't leave until I looked in every cage. There were about twelve cages in all, I think, although I can't say for certain. My memory gets a little fuzzy at this point. I know I saw many children, scared and sick and frightened, but they all began to blend together in my mind. Rather than seeing a whole person, I see bits and pieces. I see missing fingers, eyes sewn shut, teeth wrenched out. Everything is a mass mutilation. 
I didn't even really remember making it to the last cage, nor do I remember walking up the stairs. The next image in my mind is of Mrs. Baker's living room, sitting in her overstuffed armchair, drinking a cup of tea, eating some warm cookies just out of the oven. Do you know why I have a zoo for bad people, Dominic? Mrs. Baker's voice is so clear to me, even after all these years. I shook my hand, feeling numb and confused inside. Bad people don't deserve to live in this world, she answered, her voice taking on a strength, a conviction that I had never possessed before. They need to be locked up for everyone's sake. Do you understand? I nodded. I didn't know what else to do. She seemed satisfied with that. Once I'd finished my cookies, she patted me on the head and led me to the front door. I had just stepped out of that suffocating house, the skies cleared of fog and the sun beginning to warm the tips of grass when I felt her bony hand squeezing into my shoulder again. My heart skipped a beat. I turned back to look at her, and in all my life, no matter how many times I'm reincarnated, I'm sure I will never forget that look of pure menace on her face as she said, Good boys don't tell secrets. You're still a good boy, aren't you, Dominic? My head bobbed violently. Her grip loosened just a little and I bounded away to the comfort of my own home. I never told anybody what I saw in Mrs. Baker's house. Now that I'm older, I often ask myself why I didn't tell my mother. Sometimes I think it's that I didn't know what to do, didn't believe what I'd seen, had no way of explaining the horrors inside that basement. Other times I tell myself that I dreamed it all up. There was no way Mrs. Baker could have, or would have, done something like that. These are lies. There is only one truth. I was too scared of Miss Baker finding out that I was a bad boy. I was afraid of the zoo. All these years, I've remained silent, choosing to forget that one dark moment of my childhood. I thought it would be enough until my mother called me yesterday and told me. Mrs. Baker just passed away. Everything seemed to freeze in time as the memory of that day rushed upon me full force. I waited for my mother to tell me that they'd found the secret waiting in the basement, but she didn't. Instead, she said, she didn't have much money left, but it's the funniest thing. She left it all to you in her will. Do you have any idea why? No, I didn't. But that didn't stop my stomach from roiling and heaving its contents all over my kitchen floor. To this day, I don't know what Mrs. Baker saw in me or why she called out to me, told me her secret. I don't know why she gave me the money. Worst of all, I don't know what happened to those children, where she hid their bodies, or if any of them survived.
There is one more constant now in my life. Every night until I die, I will dream of the house at the end of Willow Street and its zoo for bad people. Only this time, I'll dream it from inside the cages. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey everyone, this next story has some pretty heavy mention of suicide. If it's something that you don't want to listen to, feel free to go to the timestamp that's on screen right now to go to the last story in the video. I'll admit it. I was suicidal. On a spectacularly bad day, in a particularly lonely month, during a rather bleak winter, I wasn't feeling the whole life thing anymore. I'd been unhappy before, and even depressed, but this was different. It felt like a hot knife of pain, prodding me to action, where before the thoughts of suicide had only ever been hypothetical. Now the world seemed filled with the promise of sweet relief at every turn. Sidewalk curbs begged me to trip and smash my head. Traffic jovially requested I leap out onto the street, and friendly steel rods in the construction site next to my house were always poking out and waving me over to get impaled. The only thing that saved me was the helpless and horrified feeling that this urge was coming from outside myself. The little man riding around in my brain, the little man that looked out my eyes and spoke my thoughts to himself, was not trying to sail my body against the reefs of traffic and steel rods. He was trying to brave the storm, despite feeling hopeless. It was something else that was trying to crash us against the rocks and destroy us. Chemicals. It's chemicals in the brain, you see. I looked it up online. Between a thousand different searches for ways to kill myself, I also managed to open a suicide prevention form. All I managed to post was help. But that was enough. Kind souls contacted moderators. Concerned moderators contacted police. Tired police contacted doctors. And grim men in white uniforms took me to a special hospital. For a long time, I was disconnected from the world. It was summer by the time the doctors found the right combination and dosage of medicines to balance the storm in my brain. But the day I finally walked out of that facility, it was beautiful and it was warm out. And I wanted to live. I waved at a passerby. She was very old, but took the effort to wave back and even smile. Oh my god, could you imagine what I might have done? What I might have missed out on? 
I bought donuts from a shop with change that had been in my clothes and storage at the facility for six months. I sat on a bench and broke down in tears while human beings milled left and right around me. Do you know what it is to be so alive? You get to talk to other aware beings. You get to have ideas and share them and have those ideas refuted, entertained, or accepted. You get to build things. You get to eat things like donuts. For 15 minutes, I sat on that bench near the bus stop, crying profusely while eating donuts. When people asked if I was alright, I just told them that these were really good donuts. I didn't have money for the bus since I'd spent it on treats, but the orderlies had let me charge my phone before departing. I loaded up the internet for the first time in half a year and mapped the way home. It was a beautiful day. I would walk. No specific turn was in itself scary. It was too slow a change for that. It was only after two hours of walking that I looked around, saw homeless men, drug addicts, and openly carried pistols that I realized I was in a very bad part of town. I clutched my phone tight and continually checked the mapping program. It insisted that my next turn was down a dark, trash-filled alley, but I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Rising city heat caused gold waves of evening light to dapple the street. In that back-and-forth light, I saw unhappy eyes look my way. It's time to move on. Screw that. I found a run-down gas station and asked for directions inside. The attendant listened to my question from behind a security glass and told me I was way off. The part of town I was looking for was practically in the opposite direction. Well, maybe the maps program on my phone was six months out of date. Maybe that was it. I got to walking and left the bad part of town before night fell, and I reached my apartment around three in the morning. All my bills had been on automatic payment, and thank God for that. My landlord had probably never even noticed I'd been away, but I did have a massive pile of mail just inside the door. I left it for later, crashed in bed, my bed, my home. It was good to be alive, but I had no food. Getting out my phone, I looked up 24-hour pizza places. There'd been two before I'd gone away. What had they been called? While beginning to type in my search, I froze. After each of the first three letters in pizza, the autocomplete search had filled in, Please kill me. Pick the best way to die. Pizza poison buried in cheese. I was very unhappily reminded of all the searches I'd made online before. I cleared my browser cache and put my phone down. I wasn't hungry anymore. And I thought that would be the end of it. The next morning, I had a text. West Columbus Drug and Food Pharmacy. Nathan, your prescription is due now. Reply refill to fill, help for more info, and stop to opt out of prescription alerts. Cancel to cancel prescription. I typed in refill and hit send. I was really hungry. But it was important that I took my medication in the right amounts and on time. I got dressed, brushed my teeth, and headed down to the store. 
I waited in line for 20 minutes, only to be told that they didn't have my prescription on file. I argued with the pharmacist calmly for a minute until I checked my phone to show them that I'd just sent refill. I saw that somehow my reply had autocorrected to cancel. The pharmacist apologized, but told me I'd have to have the facility send another prescription. Strict insurance rules. There was nothing that they could do. I sighed. It was fine. Whatever. I stepped outside to call the facility. I hoped it would be longer before I contacted them again, but it was important. So I hit the contact number for Sunnybrook and waited with the phone to my ear. Nothing happened. After about ten seconds, I lowered my phone and looked at it. It wasn't even a call. I'd somehow accidentally hit delete and the confirmation, removing the contact from my phone. Sighing, I went to the phone's browser and began to type in the name of the facility to get their phone number all over again. The search auto-completed as I typed. Sin to kill yourself? Sucks to be alive. Sunday, the best day of the week to die. Sunny weather increases suicide risks, studies say. My finger stopped four letters in. I shivered from some sourceless chill. This wasn't funny anymore, if it ever had been, and I angrily cleared my browser cache again. Bitter, I waited a tick and then typed in the letter K. Kill yourself. Of course. Online companies had massive profiles that held all the data every one of us had ever put online. I'd made thousands of searches about suicide before losing contact with the internet completely for six months, and all that data was stored on a server somewhere linked to my particular phone. Shaking with anger and a strange kind of abused puppy fear, I let the phone slip from my hands before kicking it as hard as I could while it fell. It soared out onto the street and exploded before being run over by seven different cars. Screw you. Just screw you. A mindless artifact of technology had left a residue of my mental issues on the internet. That was all. I just needed to get a new phone and put it out of my head. I walked to Sunnybrook and talked to a nurse in person to have my prescription refilled. I walked back to the drugstore to get my medicine. I took my medicine and began to feel better almost immediately. The next day, I went in person to a tech store and got a new phone. New number, new everything, no connection to the old one. I walked out as happy as I could be. Once I got home, I sighed, stretched, looked around my apartment and said to myself, maybe I should go see a movie. I'd never been one to leave my solitude for any reason, but now life was good. I was even feeling a little bit outgoing. I got my new phone out to see what was playing. I typed the letter M and the search auto-completed to movies in my area now that I'm feeling better. What the hell? Coincidence? It had to be. I began to type again. Movies. About hell. No. 
It was impossible. Or... I moved my phone's listening end up to my mouth and said as if I was talking to someone I brought home. Hey, Jessica, I feel like seeing an action movie. What about you? Alright, continue typing. Movies. Good action date. He was listening to me. He was fucking listening to me. New technology. It had to be. But was the microphone simply always on? Were people okay with this? When I'd gone in for treatment, there'd been a privacy outrage. Had things shifted back hard the other way in the last six months? I paid cash for the phone. I wondered if it was learning about its new user. Still pretending I was talking to a non-existent Jessica, I said, Yeah, my friends usually call me that as a nickname, but my real name's Nathan. I'd started to type into my phone again, but a severe amount of interface lag seemed to be slowing things down. After a good 20 seconds of frustrated typing that did nothing, the letters I'd hit all appeared again in the search bar. Movies, followed by a jumble of random letters ending with... You are dead, Nathan. Nearly dropping my phone like it had turned into a rattlesnake into my hand, I caught it back at the last second. I had to be hallucinating, right? I deleted the entire search and then typed again. M.O. Movie you killed yourself 188 days ago. Shivering, I stared at that message for an interminable period. What the hell was going on here? I didn't feel dead. At long last, I said aloud, No, I didn't. Movie, the data doesn't lie. Searched for suicide three months followed by zero data. You died. You think I killed myself because I went off the grid? I breathed out loud, not quite believing what I was interacting with. Had neuro-learning algorithms actually developed a sort of proto-consciousness through analyzing massive amounts of data? One of my acquaintances was a programmer, and he'd been talking about something like this when... Anomaly will be corrected. Further data for dead profile must be prevented. What the hell was that supposed to mean? I didn't like what was happening, so I turned off my phone and left it near my sink. That night, I did not go out. I did not see a movie. All I could think about was what might happen if I used my credit card. The online data conglomerates would see that, and whatever it was that thought I was dead would know. If I withdrew cash from an ATM, it would know. I was stuck. But this was crazy, right? It had to be a side effect of the medicines. It was imagining things. The next day, I used my credit card at Starbucks. I was so stupid. Oh my god, I was so stupid. Two days after that coffee, the mailman died in an explosion that blew my door off its hinges. 
A mistake in components shipping for a military contractor near Columbus had somehow sent dangerous materials to my address. I found all this out in person from an apologetic military lawyer. They offered to pay for my door. I told him to talk to the landlord. Because me? I'm running. Big Data thinks I'm dead, and they, or it, have gone from analyzing their information to trying to make it true. I'm posting this anonymously. My name is not Nathan, but I bet someone or something knows what my name really is. And it knows all about you, too. Be careful what information you give out. The things you say around your phone or the things you search online may come back to haunt you. Literally, beware the ghost in the machine. It is always watching, always listening. Even if you think your phone is off. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Flesh like paper. Eyes like pens. Take from me my deepest sense. I hadn't talked to Jessica since the month after we graduated college. I was moving back home to Alabama and she was staying behind in the apartment we'd shared since sophomore year. We occasionally kept in touch, first through regular phone calls and periodic emails and finally sparse social media messages, but I told myself it was just the natural atrophy of getting older. People from your past tended to fall away over time. And I'm sure that was part of it. But another part of it was that Jessica had grown stranger over time as well. Even before we finished senior year, she'd gotten into some rough characters that I didn't like being around or feel safe to have in our own apartment. I never knew what their or her deal was exactly. Were they drug buddies, criminals, part of some weird cult? I avoided them when I could, and Jessica was never forthcoming when I asked more about them in private, but there was no denying a sense of palpable danger and strangeness that seemed to radiate from her odd new friends, and in time, from Jessica herself. Maybe that's why my stomach clenched a little when I heard her on the phone two months ago. Her voice was deeper, huskier than I remembered, but it was still undeniably her. And after just a few minutes of talking, I felt a bittersweet nostalgia spreading through me. She sounded like the old her, or what I remembered of the old her. Sweet, funny and charming, smart and engaging, and most of all, normal. 
I live in Charlotte now, and she told me that she was in Kansas City, but a business trip had taken her to Richmond for a couple of weeks, and she was thinking about a southern road trip during the long weekend she'd come up. Would I be interested in meeting her somewhere and hanging out for a bit? Catching up on old times, that kind of thing. I surprised myself when I said yes. The restaurant was a couple of hours north of me, but it saved her some travel time, and looking at the website, I had to admit the place looked very cool. Set back in the cool green woods near the state border, the Midnight Star was more than just a five-star restaurant with a chef that supposedly had trained in France and had been the personal chef to several celebrities. It also sat 200 acres of unspoiled land that included campgrounds, a massive fully stocked lake, and an underground spa that claimed to have a natural hot spring and healing salts. It all sounded just fancy and weird enough to be exotic and fun, and I had the thought that maybe Jessica had turned from a creepy whatever into a yuppie that liked gourmet food and overpriced body scrubs. After giving my name at the gatehouse, I followed a winding private back road for a mile before the main building appeared. It had the shape and style of a massive old log cabin, but one that had been clearly built in the last few years. I pulled into a parking spot as a woman stepped out of a silver Audi a few yards down. Even dressed in the shadows of the late afternoon, I recognized Jessica immediately. She looked older and a bit heavier, but not by much on either count. Not as much as me. She looked in my direction and smiled. That same smile that had always drawn me in. Always drawn everyone in. Always made me feel special while letting me know that the reason wasn't because of anything good in me, but because she'd noticed me. At least for a while. Swallowing, I gave her a wave and got out. We hugged and laughed and exchanged pleasantries for a minute before she ushered me inside telling me we had reservations for an early dinner, followed by a private spa treatment if I was willing. I smiled nervously and glanced around the interior of the place. I... maybe. This looks really nice, though. I'm not sure if I can swing dinner and whatever they charge for, you know, all the spa stuff. I blushed. I mean, I, I do okay, but I just have a lot of expenses and... She reached out and pinched my nose slightly. I'd forgotten her doing that to me when we were younger. Silly, I didn't invite you to some super expensive place to have you pay a ton of money. I actually picked this place because I know the owner. Or at least I know people that do. All of this is getting comped. Dinner and spa, no worries. I raised an eyebrow. Are you sure? I mean, I don't mind paying some towards... I. I trailed off as she frowned and shook her head. Nope. Everything's taken care of. She broke into a grin. All we have to do is enjoy it. And that's what we did. We drank delicious wine and ate course after course of delicious small plates. Each one more varied and wonderful than the last. We also talked, really talked, in a way that I hadn't with anyone in years. I started to realize how shallow some of my more recent friendships really were, all of them based out of convenience or utility more than any deep enjoyment of each other's company. And seeing Jessica do so well, 
so happy and obviously successful in life. It made me a bit jealous, but mostly it just made me glad. Glad and curious. She told me that she'd worked for a medical research company in Missouri, not doing the science, but managing the business end of things. The company had become very profitable in the last few years, which explained her obvious wealth, but as we were lent from the dining room to a lounge area, I couldn't help shake the feeling that there was more to it than that. The attendant told us he'd be by in 20 minutes and take us down to the spa, and after settling into comfortable chairs, we sat in companionable silence for a few moments before I burst out with a question that had been on my tongue for the last two hours. So what's your secret? Jessica's eyes widened and then she let out a burst of laughter. <laughs> what do you mean? Blushing, I lowered my eyes and shrugged. I... I mean, I know your work is going good and having money is great and all, but... It's almost like you glow or something, you know? I know that sounds dumb, but you just seem so happy and at peace. She smiled and returned to my shrug. I don't know about that. I have bad days just like anybody, and I have things that stress me out the same as you, but... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very fulfilled. Jessica's smile faded as I met her eyes again. I struggled a lot when I was younger. You saw that. I was searching for something, but I wasn't sure what it was, and I made more than my share of mistakes along the way. I don't regret most of those mistakes, but I do regret how I treated you. You were my best friend, and I took that for granted. And it's my fault that we drifted apart in the years since. I shook my head slightly. No, it's mine, too. I should have kept in touch better. Maybe, but... I get why you didn't. I wasn't an easy person to be around or trust. It's only been in the last few years that I found my place in things and really figured out who I am. She glanced away. My hope is that we can become real friends again. Sisters again. It was my turn to smile when she looked back. Of course, Jess. I'd love that. I really, really would. I gestured at the room we were in. And I'm not just saying that because of this kick-ass place that you've brought me. We both laughed, and I could feel my last misgivings and all the empty years without my friend melting away. The air had grown colder when we stepped back outside, the attendant now leading us down a lit path of crushed stone that trailed from the main house to a much smaller building further back in the wood. I felt mildly confused. If this was the spa, it certainly wasn't very big, and I don't know how they offered all the different amenities they claimed on their website. Glancing over at Jessica, I was about to make a joke about the tiny building when I saw something in the trees beyond the path. It was a man, staring at us from the gathering shadows of twilight, his skin ghastly pale and his eyes obscured by a pair of black goggles that reminded me of something a welder might wear. I reached out and gripped Jessica's arms tightly. 
there's some dude looking at us from the trees. She glanced in my direction before following my gaze. Snickering slightly, she patted my hand as she turned back to me with a smile. (laughs) Sorry, that's just Jeffrey. He's my helper. I know he's strange looking, especially lurking around like that, but he doesn't mix well with most people, what with his condition and all. I glanced back at her, lowering my voice. What kind of condition does he... Madams, here you are. Please, step inside. I looked up and through the open door before us. Inside, there was just a small reception desk beside a large, winding staircase of dark, polished wood that led down into the ground. Looking at the attendant and then Jessica, I felt a moment of confusion. Down there? She nodded with a small smile. Oh, um... I thought Underground Spa was just their way of saying it was exclusive and cool. Jessica snorted laughter. (laughs) You goofy bitch. No, it's in a natural cave they built in, down where the springs are. She grabbed my hand as she headed for the stairs. Now come on. Isn't this just heaven? I lifted the corner of my cold mass I'd been given as soon as we'd settled into the hot pool. It did feel good once you got used to the heat, but my nose was still prickling from whatever they used in my massage. Some kind of spice, maybe? Whatever it was, I was grateful for the mask so Jessica didn't see my eyes watering. Still, it was a very nice place. All the staff had been very kind and professional, and while I'd been anxious about stripping down all the way at first... Their detached demeanor and Jessica's urging as she undressed herself made it feel all the less odd. I just needed to relax, go with the flow, and trust my friend. She clearly had things more figured out than I did, and it might not hurt to pick up a thing or two. Nodding at her, I settled the mask back into place. It is. It's awesome. I've never seen anything like it. Raising the mask again, I shot her a questioning look. Are we the only ones here? It's a really big place, and I haven't seen any other customers. Jessica nodded. They close it at nights on the weekend. That's when they do special events for VIPs and stuff. That's why we're getting the extra fancy treatment. I tried to keep the unease out of my voice. And you're sure we don't have to pay for anything? She grinned. I told you, it's all been taken care of. I have some very good friends. This is one of the benefits. Sliding her own mask back down, she settled against the side of the pool we were in. Now put your mask back on and relax. The skin treatment they will do will make your eyes puffy if you don't wear the compress a few minutes after. I flinched slightly and slid the mask back down. I hoped she didn't think that I was complaining or wasn't grateful. I felt like I was close to really getting her back in my life, and I didn't want to ruin it. And the mask did help. It smelled weird, too, but in a soothing way. My nose stopped its buzzing, and I felt myself sinking down into... When I woke up, I was hanging in midair. 
thick nylon straps held me at my wrists and chest, waist and ankles, suspending me face down above a still black pool surrounded by softly lit subterranean stone. I sucked in a panicked breath, looking from side to side as best I could manage, first to the right and then to the left. There were people all around the edge of the pool, strangers, all naked and painted with yellow symbols across their thighs and bellies and face. I was sinking into terror now. Surrounded by a sea of thin lips and alien stares, naked and hostile and strange in a way that shouted danger through the trembling halls of my brain. But then, a small bit of hope on a distant shore, a familiar face in the crowd. Jess, what is this? What are they doing to me? She smiled, her eyes almost luminous in the cave's perpetual dusk. It's not what's being done to you. It's what you're being given. Her grin widened as she pointed below me. See for yourself. I looked down to see the inky liquid beneath me beginning to ripple. When the thing's head broke the surface. That's when I began to scream. It was a woman, or something that looked like a woman. The black fluid ran off her naked body, leaving behind the same pale, cracked skin that I'd seen on the man in the woods. She found my eyes as her hands raised, gently grasping my head as she drew closer. Her breath was spicy and cold. Her eyes were so dark and dilated so far that only a thin ring of blue could be seen, like the promise of some old forgotten moon on the strange distant shore. And now she was closer still, her dry, hungry lips finding mine, kissing me deeply, drawing pleasure and pain from the pressure, fear, and then excitement, and then blood. Only then, when there was a wet bond of life between us, did she pull back, gasping, shuddering. Her eyes were pinpricks now, and she'd seemed to wince at the ambient light even as she stepped toward the edge. Two of the naked strangers helped her from the pool, one wrapping her in a thick towel even as the other eased a pair of goggles of shadowed glass over her eyes. All of this was insane. They were going to murder me as part of some cult ritual, and all of this was insane, and I was a fool, and I... Hush, my girl. Hush. I looked back toward Jessica. I can see what you're going through. The scared voice running in your head. There's no need to be scared. No one is going to hurt you. Nothing could be further from the truth. These people are my friends, and they know my love for you, and they've given you a very special gift because I asked them to, a way to repay you for all the times I neglected you, for all the years we've lost. As she spoke, I was drifting through the air, being hauled on a system of pulleys to the edge where I was righted and freed of the straps. Recoiling from the strangers, I held my ground as Jessica approached with a soft white robe and draped it around my shoulders. It's alright. It's okay. 
I know it doesn't make any sense right now. In time, it will. In time, you will remember this night very fondly. I was trembling as she took my arm and led me out from the lower chambers of the cave. This place was somewhere below the main spa, and it took another ten minutes of corridors and stairs before we reached the changing room where our lockers were. Jessica ran a towel under the sink and began wiping the yellow markings off her skin as she gestured toward the shower. You don't have to get this gunk on you, but you may want to shower regardless, or at least wash your face because of, well, you know. But don't worry, it's over, and I won't let anyone mess with you. Her eyes widened as she gave a laugh. <laughs> Not that they would. God, that sounded bad. No, you're one of us now. I yanked open my locker and began pulling on my underwear. One of you? What, what was all that? Are you... I lowered my voice to a whisper. Are you in a cult? Jessica giggled. <laughs> I get you thinking that, but no, it's nothing like that. It's just a group of like-minded people. People with certain knowledge of how things work and how to use it to our advantage. I was already half-dressed and slipping on my shoes. I headed for the door. Well, whatever it is, I'm getting out of here. Not waiting for a response, I left the changing room and moved to the stairs, waiting for someone to tackle me or block the way forward. But no one ever did. I made it to the surface and back to my car without seeing anyone. And I was looking for my keys when I saw movement at the edge of the parking lot. It was that woman, the pale woman from the pool, clothed and now standing at the edge of light watching me. Or at least I assumed she was watching me behind those dark goggles that she still wore. It's freaky at first, isn't it? I let out a small scream as Jessica's voice was so close. Turning, I took a step back from her. What? What is? The goggles, the skin, the whole get-up? Shuddering, I dug into my purse again for my keys while keeping my eyes on her. Uh-huh. Yeah, sh sure. It's not just theatrics, though. Their skin turns that color as part of the process, and after bonding, well, they get really sensitive to light, too. I felt my hands close around my keys. I knew I should just leave, just escape these crazies while I had the chance, but something told me it wasn't that easy, that there was more to it than some nut jobs in the woods. What is this? Who are these people? I glanced toward the staring pale woman meaningfully. Jessica touched my chin gently. It's what I said. I've never lied to you about any of it. It's what I said. I've never lied to you about any of it. The one I have, I call him Jeffrey. He helps me with things. Does things for me that I don't want to or can't do myself. Helps me get what I want. I pulled back slightly. But why? Who are they? Where do they come from? Are they part of this group? She smirked slightly and shook her head. No. They... 
Well, I don't know who they are, really. I mean, I could find out, but it doesn't matter who they once were. It's what they are now that matters. I felt a chill go down my spine. What are they? Her eyes twinkled in the dark. They're vessels. You could call them possessed, though that is a very crude term for what they really are, and rather than try to exercise them or destroy them, there are an enlightened few that have learned to use them, to channel their abilities and appetites towards our own ends. My mouth hung open as I stared at her. Just that... That's insane. You don't really believe that, do you? She grinned at me. Of course I do. I've seen how it works. You can tell them what you want, what you need, and they'll make it happen. Even when you don't. They have this intuition. They always look out for you. Jessica nodded past me to the woman at the edge of the parking lot. She'll always look out for you. My voice shook as I pulled my keys and went to unlock my door. I'm... I'm going. I I have to go. I'm sorry, but my door was already unlocked. I always locked my door. Looking up at Jess, I saw her wince slightly. Yeah, they may have gone through your stuff a bit while we were busy. She raised her hands. All well-intentioned, I assure you. Jess makes it easier to keep tabs on you and make sure you don't need anything or, you know, make rash decisions. She leaned closer. Because this gift, this group, it's still a very private and personal thing. We don't want outsiders in our business, right? Yanking open my door the rest of the way, I got in quickly. Right, yeah, sure. I slammed the door shut without waiting for a response and backed out of my spot. As I pulled away and shot down the road, I heard Jessica yelling after me. It was so great seeing you. I'll call you tomorrow. And she did. And the next day, and the day after that. At first, I was resistant to answering, and when I did answer, I was resistant to talking. I knew she had to be crazy, or at least brainwashed, but I thought maybe if I talked to her, then over time I could get her to understand how insane it all was. And then I saw the pale woman outside my office one morning. Standing in the bushes, barely visible, she watched me as I entered the building. The next day, I noticed her at the grocery store as I was driving away. It's so strange. She never approaches me, and I haven't dared to approach her, but no one else seems to even notice her, despite the pale skin beneath her hooded sweatshirt or the odd goggles she always wears. It's almost like being haunted by a ghost only I can see. And then, four days ago, Bonnie Sutler died. She worked at my job, and while we had once been workplace friends, that had all changed when she got promoted instead of me. 
No more joking or going to lunch, just hard looks, condescending meetings, and constant undermining as though it wasn't enough that she'd won. She had to make sure that I lost, too. They found her in a park two miles from her house. Her head had been twisted around like a bottle cap, and there were no suspects or known motives for what had happened to her. Just a random act of violence, some monsters that had found easy prey. I went to her wake just like everyone else. I pretended to mourn her just like everyone else. But how could anyone really miss her that much? She wasn't a good person. She was a phony, a bitch, a user, not like me, not like Jessica for that matter. Weird as she may be, she really was my friend again. And when I got word that I was getting the vacated position at work, Jessica was the first one I called. That's so great. See, I told you, good stuff is going to start happening for you. I was smiling into the phone, but I still felt an uneasy rumble in my belly. But if she did it, if my woman did it, doesn't it mean that I did it, really? I mean, she killed her because it would help me, right? Jessica's voice was more serious when she answered. Yeah, it helped you, sure, but you're a good person. Don't you deserve some help? would you rather these helpers, well, if they were left to their own devices, they'd hurt a lot of people that didn't deserve it. At least this way you can point them toward good causes. Only hurt the ones that have earned it. The ones that get in your way. I swallowed. Um, I guess. But what if I tell them what to do? What then? Aren't I to blame? No, not at all. They're still choosing to do it, right? And again, it's for your own good. For the world's own good, if you care about that. After all, how can helping a good person be bad for the world? Okay. Well, how do I do it? Do what? Uh, ask them for something. She laughed. <laughs> That's easy. I'll text you a number. You just call and say the special phrase. That's it. In a little while, your girl will show up and hear whatever you have to tell her. They aren't much for talking, but they listen very well. I felt my heart quickening. Okay. What's the special thing I have to say? Skin like paper, eyes like pens, take from me my deepest sends. That's it? That's it. Easy as falling. I gave a small laugh. <laughs> Off a log? She didn't return the laugh. If you like. I just made the call a few moments ago. I'm excited and scared at the same time, but that's alright, isn't it? I've been scared so much in my life, worried about what I had to lose, what might be taken from me, but now, now I'm just afraid of being happy, terrified that I'm finally going to make the world give me what I deserve. Jess is right. 
I can control where this goes, control where I go. I bet this is how little baby birds feel. Scared and happy at the same time. Right before they fall. Right before they fly. Well, I have to go. There's a knock at the door. 